1: Today on Something You Should Know, it can be hard to find the right holiday gift for people at work. I've got some simple solutions they will love. Then, the spices in your spice rack. Who knew they could have dangerous levels of heavy metals?
0: We looked at 15 different kinds of spices and we tested 126 brands. And of those, we found 30% of cases concerning levels of arsenic, cadmium, or lead. That is shocking.
1: Also, Black Friday is a big day for plumbers. I'll explain why and how to avoid the need for one, and a different way to look at problems that have simple and surprising solutions.
2: If I put a certain number of people in a room together, how many people do I need for there to be more than an even chance that two people in that room will have the same birthday? You actually only need 23 people.
1: All this today on Something You Should Know. Something You Should Know. Fascinating intel, the world's top experts, and practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. Hi, welcome to Something You Should Know. As we get into the holidays, you realize you've got gifts to buy, and buying the right gift for family and friends is hard enough, but then there's people you work with. Buying holiday gifts for coworkers can get tricky and a little expensive, but research shows that people have pretty low expectations when it comes to office gifts. So don't worry too much about what you give. Here are some suggestions to make the task a bit easier. Focus on presentation. Gift bags, tissue paper, and something sparkly will show you put some time and attention into it, even if it's not a very expensive gift. Give something they can take home and use. Don't give them something they could easily just take out of the office supply cabinet at work. Things like mugs or mouse pads are fine. Give food. People like to get homemade cookies or gift baskets or really any kind of food. It's inexpensive and always appreciated. And gift cards always work. Even $10 at someone's favorite store or coffee place will be appreciated. And it's really easy. And that is something you should know. If you like to cook, or more importantly, if you like to eat, this next segment is important for you to hear because so much of the food we make and eat is made with herbs and spices. And what could be more harmless than a little oregano or some basil? Or so you'd think. However, in the December 2021 issue of Consumer Reports magazine is an article about spices that is really rather shocking. Many spices that you buy at the supermarket have concerning levels of heavy metals. Things like lead and arsenic. And heavy metals stay in your body. They don't pass through, so it's cumulative over your lifetime. So you might figure, well, then the solution would be to buy the spices that don't have heavy metals. Yeah, well, that turns out to be not so easy. Lisa Gill is the investigative reporter for Consumer Reports who wrote the story and is here to explain the problem and what you can do to protect yourself. Hi, Lisa.
0: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
1: So first, I'd like to know how you came up with the idea of this story, the idea of investigating spices in the first place. I mean, what made you say, hey, let's look for heavy metals and spices?
0: Yeah, good. Good question. Actually, a handful of states had given us signals uh, from their own testing of spices, and in one case, in the state of North Carolina, a couple of years ago, uh, some school children had lead poisoning. And they, and you know, lead shows up in a lot of places. It's not just in food or in spices. Um, it's in the environment, and paint, and all sorts of other uh, parts of our environment. And when they started taking a closer look, they found it particularly in turmeric.
1: You mean just that bright yellow, orangey spice that many of us have in our spice rack, turmeric, gave people lead poisoning.
0: And at the same time, the state of New York, just in the last couple of years, have, has recalled over 100 spices due to different types of heavy metals. So they had given us some signals too that we should be looking you know, for heavy metals in spices. And so the, the whole concept was to do a spot check. And what we wanted to understand is, you know, in the top spices, um, you know, commonly used spices that people purchase all the time in the grocery store, are there appreciable levels of heavy metals? And we also, I should say too, we, we checked for salmonella. So we, we were looking at bacterial contamination as well. And the really good news is we did not find any bacterial contamination, but we did find some concerning results um, in terms of heavy metals.
1: And so let's define spices. Do you mean th- just spices, spices, or does this also include like oregano and herbs as well?
0: Yes, herbs as well. So that's exactly right. So we're, I'm, I'm using the term spices very loosely. Um, and actually what we really looked at were cooking spices. So we did not, for example, look at cinnamon or, or nutmeg, which are typically used in baking.
1: So you, you did the, not
0: look at cinnamon? Correct. And the idea, and I'll tell you why... Um, for cooking spices, it's not uncommon that people use cooking spices weekly or even daily. Um, in the case of baking spices, it's far less frequent. You know, we really want to look at things that consumers use all the time. And
1: just overall, snapshot, you know, condensed version, two sentences, what did mm-hmm. you find?
0: We looked at 15 different kinds of spices, and we tested 126 brands across those 15 spices and of those we found 30% of cases concerning levels of arsenic, cadmium or lead. That is shocking. And not only that, there was no single clear predictor of which brand and which spice is safe. So for example, organic doesn't, there were organic spices that had troubling levels of heavy metals. Also, you can't tell by the origin, you know, the country of origin. That was another problem. And there is no, no particular brand that was left untouched and there's no particular spice. Um, it's kind of across the board.
1: And what about time? In other words, if you tested somebody's cumin now would it, and it had lead in it, would it maybe not have lead in it six months from now?
0: Yeah, that's possible. So that's what I mean by spot check. The spot check is just like a snapshot in time, um, just trying to capture, looking really looking for market signals. So it's not the same, you know, as as for example, as testing a car that was just released on the market, and it's the same car that will be built, you know, for the entire year. Uh, no, this, you're you're correct. It is. It's different. It will change. The lots number lot numbers will change, and there and you know that's that's a sort of a known. Issue when you test food products, and so
1: yeah, where, what's your sense of how it gets in there? Where, where does this lead and arsenic? Because you you think of a bottle of spices that you buy at the supermarket that what it says on the label is pretty much that's all that's in there. So how is heavy metals getting in there?
0: Yeah, the most the most likely way is through the environment, through water and soil. That would be particularly true for plant based herbs like thyme or basil um, or oregano, they, they can leach easily, more easily, heavy metals out of the soil and through the water. The next obvious question is, well, how do those get into our soil and water? And there's a couple of ways. You know, One of them is some of them are naturally occurring. Actually, arsenic can naturally occur. But in other cases, it's environmental, I'm sorry, it's manufacturing waste products, p- basically pollutants you know, are contaminated and dumped into rivers and streams or into the soil, over time it will make its way to topsoil that's used um, to grow our food. So you have a chart, and
1: anyone who's read Consumer Reports knows you guys are very good at charts, but you have a chart in the article both online that people can access, and and there's a link to that chart, that article uh, in the show notes for this episode. You have a chart of spices by brands of which one you t- you tested that did well and which ones you didn't. So I guess that's a place to start.
0: Well, there's a couple of things, I mean in the immediate. Our first, you know, piece of advice is take this list and just check it against what you have in your spice cabinet today. And I I agree with you, you know, not it's not going to be the same lot numbers, but you do have a you have a good sense, I want to say, that if you buy I don't know, a particular brand that they're sourcing it from at least a similar source or a consistent source. I mean, these large companies want consistent sourcing. So it's not, it's not unreasonable to think that other lot numbers of a product may have appreciable levels of heavy metals. The second step would be today as you go buy spices for maybe a holiday gathering or even just to, you know because you're trying out different recipes or you're even restocking, Take, take our list along with you um, and, you know, just double check. There's a, you know, as you noted, I mean, there are some, you know, thyme and oregano, basically all the ones we tested had appreciable levels of and, and worrisome levels, I should say, of, of heavy metals. So don't buy those brands is, is the second piece of advice. And then the third would be, you know, if you use a lot of oregano or thyme in particular or even basil, I know it sounds like a stretch and a lot of work, but actually you can grow your own you know, in little window boxes, you don't necessarily need a garden or outdoor space. You don't even need to live in a warm climate. You can do it inside your home. So I think if, if you use a lot, that might be an option. The other thing I'd like to say too, is that, you know, one problem with the, and the reason that heavy metals are so concerning is that they accumulate in the body over time. They don't, you don't, you don't metabolize them in other, like you might other chemicals. And so you, you care a lot about the cumulative long term effect and you care a lot about you know how much you get of heavy metals in a day and if you've got young children or babies in your home I, w- I would really look at you know what spices are you giving them um, and really either cut back or make sure that they are not exposed or overexposed uh, to heavy metals and then the, the other and I know this sounds not spice related but this is important and, and again, if you have small children or babies, um, you know, in your home, you might want to test your water <laughs> and make sure that you don't have lead in your water. So, you know, when we think about the cumulative effect, you think about water,
1: soil, and food. Sometimes, because the recipe will call for it, I will buy fresh oregano or fresh thyme yeah. in the supermarket. Did you test those?
0: You know, we did not. And I can say a few things just from my own personal experience, not not necessarily from Consumer Reports experience, but you know, uh, fresh herbs you use less of them. I would say the the risk is probably like in the aggregate m- maybe less,
1: but it may not be less.
0: <laughs> it may not be, but you know, at the same time, you have to really ask yourself, well, how often am I using them? You know, we we all eat foods with heavy metals. I eat raw tuna and sushi all the time, but I I take it easy. I kind of look at my weeks. You know, the amount I eat in a week and try to not exceed, you know, once or twice a week.
1: As you look at the spices that you tested, were there any across the board that were just plain fine?
0: Do you mean brands or the actual spice?
1: The name of the spice.
0: Oh, yeah. Let's, uh, that is a fantastic question to help people feel secure. You know, black pepper is a great example. Black pepper did well across the board. And that's great because that's probably one of the most popular spices in the United States. Uh, Coriander also did well. Chili powder, almost all but one brand did well. Curry powder and garlic powder, all safe. White pepper, sesame seed, and saffron, all green check marks, (laughs) which
1: is is really good news. And were there any that were just horrible?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so really unfortunately, thyme and oregano every one that we tested, got into the dangerous levels of heavy metals. Uh, and then I would say in addition to that, powdered ginger, all of them did poorly except for one, dried basil. Dried basil, again, all of them did poorly except for one.
1: But that one that did well could do poorly next week.
0: It could, yeah. So this is the trouble. Know, spot check, like I said, is, yeah. is tough because you're just getting a snapshot about what is available in the market at the time you send out the shoppers. And you're looking for signals. And, and the, really, really, the, the I think the important thing to think about is that, you know, the FDA does not regulate the space in the way you might expect. I mean, there is no, they don't test for heavy metals. They don't require companies to test for heavy metals in spices specifically. Um, they do stop the import of certain spices if heavy metals have been found. But they're not looking for them. They're, they are looking for salmonella contamination. And that's th- their efforts actually have have really substantially reduced you know the risk of salmonella and spices. You know, at the same time, a few states and New York state in particular and California, maybe more generally, have really stepped forward to try to regulate this space a little better. So it this kind of research helps I would say helps regulators um get a a snapshot of what's going on in the market and and maybe look a little more closely at the absence of regulations and what that means for people's health
1: lisa gill is my guest she is an investigative reporter for consumer reports and author of an article about heavy metals in kitchen spices a shout out to claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples you see For as long as I can remember, I have had to deal with seasonal allergies. Stuffy nose, watery eyes, the whole deal. And the worst for me is it messes up my sleep. I wake up because I can't breathe right. And during the day, well, you know, if I'm working and I'm all stuffed up, then my voice sounds weird, and this is how I make my living. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. I use it, and if you struggle with allergies, you should too. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin-D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been using Claritin-D for years because, well, just it takes care of the problem. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. passed a law that's said to all the spice companies that this had to stop. Is the technology available or is the sourcing available or whatever it would take to fix it
0: available? I I love that question. (laughs) I love that question. And I'm going to hedge it a little bit. The technology, I can't speak to directly, but what we do know is that companies, based on their responses to us, could do more in terms of testing. We asked all, all the companies all the same questions, and one of them was, do you regularly test for heavy metals? And a handful got back to us and said yes. Another handful came back and said, well, we require the suppliers to test, but we don't test. And then another handful didn't respond <laughs> at all. So I would suggest that you know, even just the simple act of getting all manufacturers to require suppliers testing or doing their own testing would be a huge step. And maybe publishing it on the label so consumers know or creating a symbol so the consumers know what they're getting. Right now, quite frankly, as you as you pointed out here several times, a consumer just cannot tell. They don't know which. So you go to shop for dried basil or dried oregano. You have no idea maybe where where it's from, but you also really may not know what's in it in terms of heavy metals. You should at least Be able to choose your heavy metals to some degree, you know. I mean, I'm not directly answering it, but it would suggest to us based on how the companies responded that self-policing in this area could definitely improve.
1: You know what I wonder is, so if you you went to the spice companies and said, look what we found, would they go, oh my
0: God? Or would they go, yeah, we know. (laughs) It's a known problem in the spice industry. The spice trade industry talks quite a bit about it you know, in their annual meetings. And, and part of the reason is that the majority of spices that you see in our grocery stores are imported. And I, I, I hesitate to give you a number, but it's nearly all. There's only a handful that really aren't. But basically everything that we tested comes from overseas. And it comes from all over the world, China, Vietnam, India, you know, places where environmental contamination, you know, by companies is a problem. And, and it's a known problem. And honestly, now I, I can't confirm this. This is what the spice trade industry tells us. the United States actually gets the best, you know, and highest quality spices when we receive imports. And so spices that are left you know in, to other countries um, may have actually higher levels of contamination.
1: The brands that you tested were they pretty much the name brand, uh, ones that you would find at the supermarket. Or, c- oh, because- totally.
0: Yeah, I can. And I can. I'm happy to name a few. I mean, you know, it includes McCormick. I mean, they're probably one of the biggest sellers. It includes Kos- the Kirkland, which is from Costco, Penzi's, 365 Whole Foods Market, Morton, and Bassett, Spice Island, and Simply Organic. These are ones that you and I could walk probably to the closest supermarket and find. You know, on a gro- on the grocery store shelves.
1: Isn't Trader Joe's on your list too?
0: Uh, yes, thank you. Yep.
1: What I'm wondering is, you know, there are storefronts, you know, specialty spice stores. Would there be any reason to think that their sources are are domestic or different or better? Or uh, I know you, if you didn't test them, how would you know? But but you know more about this than I do. So it, it, would would that be? Like a little bit of insurance if you went there or no?
0: No, no. And you know, so I think think maybe you might be asking about like bulk spices, like bulk spices you might be able to purchase at our indicators, you know, and this isn't like official advice, but our indicators are that bulk spices contain even higher levels of heavy metals. And then the advice we've given in the past, and even for this story, is spices that you bring from overseas we would suggest, other research suggests those have the highest levels of heavy metals. So if you go on vacation and you're in India and you think, oh, this is going to be great, I'm going to get curry here and I'll bring it back and it'll it'll be wonderful. Just know that statistically speaking, previous research suggests that there will be higher levels of heavy metals in that spice.
1: I wonder if, has Consumer Reports or are you aware of any other testing that was done maybe twenty years ago or ten years ago, and compare it to this, or or or, or is this kind of a new revelation?
0: If this is this is the first time we've ever done this, um, and we were bolstered by New York State's testing, um, North Carolina's testing, and other state health agencies that were really trying to get a grip on what was happening with lead, especially. So what what happens
1: in New York when New York says? Uh, you, you, there's too much lead in your spices, so you
0: can't. Is that what they say? They say you can't sell yeah. it. Yeah, they- yeah. So they can do a recall. They can do a recall um, and remove those spices off the shelf. It's interesting in this food safety space. You know, you, we often think about recalls in terms of the federal government, right? The FDA or the USDA, and for for a state health department or a state, you know, food safety department to specifically issue recalls just in that state. It's good. It's good for public public health.
1: So really, the, the the only solution to this is either grow your own, but some of those spices you can't grow, or, or don't yeah. use them because you other, otherwise it's a bit of a crapshoot.
0: It's a bit of a crapshoot, and and also maybe best try to understand other sources of heavy metal in your home, and, and particularly water. And you know, for house, households with young children. You know this this area is super sensitive, and I, and taking extra steps I would say is important. For, I think for adult, you know, in my case, I look at these and I don't use enough dry. I'm I'm like you. I buy I buy fresh herbs, and I don't use them in quantities high enough uh, to warrant massive concern. I my my heavy metals come from fish, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, which is you know another concern, but, but
0: yeah, same problem. Exactly. Right. Same problem.
1: But it still doesn't, I mean, I think this comes as a surprise to a lot of people. I think people know there's heavy metal in fish yeah. and, but this is really, I was, when I saw this email uh, from your organization, I was shocked because
0: yeah, it just, it seems like, well, what, what, well, why would that be? I know. I was stunned that, you know, one out of three tested at, High, high levels that are that are, were high enough that could cause concern for health that's just not the outcome i I thought we would have
1: well the good news there would, uh, is that two out of three didn't
0: yes, yeah, and that's exactly right so, so so it's not I can hear my editors in my head it's not a total crapshoot. i mean you can you can sort of ascertain a few things from from the list of spices that did well and i i think that, I think you should have confidence you know, with green check marks next to some of these. I mean, you know, Spice Island chili powder, Simply Organic chili powder, you know, those, they all did well.
1: Well, anybody who is concerned, and I guess we should all be concerned because we all eat food that has herbs and spices in it, should check out that list, that chart that is on your website, the Consumer Reports website, as well as in the December 2021 issue of Consumer Reports magazine. Lisa Gill has been my guest. She is the investigative reporter for Consumer Reports who wrote this story. And you will find a direct link to the story on the Consumer Reports website in the show notes for this episode.
0: Thank you, Lisa. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. It, It was really a great discussion, and I hope it's helpful.
1: Something you should know, I'm pretty sure you're going to like TED Talks Daily. And you get TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. When you have a problem, you try to figure out the solution. And sometimes that's easy, and sometimes it's hard. And sometimes the hard problems may actually have a shortcut. It's all in how you look at the problem, how you frame it, how you reconsider it. That's according to Marcus de Sotoy. He's professor for the public understanding of science and professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford, and author of the book *Thinking Better: The Art of the Shortcut in Math and in Life*. Hi, Marcus. Thanks for being here. Great to be on. So, explain what you mean by thinking better and solving problems better, because I, I think people believe that generally we're we're pretty good at solving problems, or if we don't know the answer or we can't figure it out we're able to get it somewhere else
2: right i think that uh, the human species has got very good at finding cunning solutions to tough problems and uh, rather than doing a lot of hard work which can take you a long time be very boring Uh, I'm trying to encourage people to think better, think of a way to look at a problem which kind of gets rid of all that boring hard work and gets you to your solution as efficiently and quickly as possible.
1: And so give me an example of that.
2: Well, one of the examples that got me very excited when I was a student was uh, when a teacher told me a story about a mathematician who came up with a very cunning kind of shortcut to what looked like a very difficult problem. The problem was add up the numbers from one to 100. Now, there's a very boring, slow uh, way to do that, which is you start at the number one, plus two, plus three, plus four. It's going to take you a long time, probably make a lot of mistakes on the way. Um, But this uh, mathematician called Carl Friedrich Gauss, um, one of my mathematical heroes, he was at school when he was given this problem. And he said, oh, no, there's a cunning way to think about this, because I can add up the numbers in pairs. I can add one plus 100. That's 101. 2 plus 99, that's also one hundred and 98, again 101. And what he saw was that there were 50 pairs of numbers all adding up to 101. So the answer to the uh, teacher's uh, question was, well, 50 lots of 101, that's 5,050. Now, for me, that's a great way of thinking better. Rather than doing laborious hard work of adding up numbers from 1 to 100, um, Think about it in a different way. Think about the beginning and the end of the journey together. And suddenly you've got this shortcut, which gets you the answer much more efficiently. And the power of this shortcut is even if the teacher had uh, cranked the problem up and said, okay, what about one to a million? The the trick still gets you very quickly to the answer, whilst the rest of the class is kind of adding up the numbers in turn and taking forever to get there. So, so I think uh, my subject of mathematics Is somehow the art of the shortcut. It's about these wonderful techniques for looking at problems that at first sight look incredibly uh, laborious, difficult, long, tedious, uh, and coming up with a, a clever way to look at them to get to the answer quickly and efficiently.
1: Okay, so that's a great example, but so seldom am I asked to add up the numbers between one and a hundred or any academic mathematical problem like that. So bring that into the real world, and tell me how these shortcuts work for like more real life problems.
2: Okay, so I think you know each problem has its own kind of individual shortcut that will work for it. So, for example, uh, finding a pattern in numbers is a very powerful way to kind of predict what might happen next. So, for example, a colleague of mine, Jeffrey West, uh, discovered a pattern in the way that things in cities grow as the city gets bigger and bigger. And this pattern is very powerful when actually applied by citizens in a city. For example, he discovered that um, if you double the population of a city, then actually you don't get double the number of cinemas or restaurants. You seem to get always 15% more um, of all the things in that city. So the larger the city, somehow you get an extra bonus 15% every time you um, double a population. And this also applies to salaries. So for example, you're doing the same job in a city of um, a million citizens. If you move to a city with 2 million citizens, you might say, well, surely I'm going to get paid the same amount of money for doing the same job. But no, there seems to be this bonus factor that um, this pattern has revealed that you get an extra 15% of salary. Now, for me, that seems like a a very useful shortcut if you want to increase your salary by just doing the same amount of work. Just move to a city with double uh, the amount of inhabitants. It seems like this pattern in the numbers reveals that you just get more for your kind of work in, in a city with double the population
1: one shortcut you talk about that i think is really interesting is it's a shortcut to solve a problem if you get other people to solve it for you so talk about that what is that
2: i mean this is something called the the wisdom of the crowd um so for example if i give you a jar full of jelly beans and i ask you to guess the number of beans in that jelly uh, in that jar you'll probably be way off but if i actually ask 200 people to count guess at the number of jelly beans and then i take the average of all their guesses it's extraordinary that actually that average very often is very close to the true number of beans that are in that jar it seems like that what happens is the people who terribly underestimate the number of beans is cancelled out by the people who overestimate and we get actually quite close to the true value so i think that's quite a useful strategy you use the, the kind of crowd to help you find a solution. And in fact, I had somebody who wrote to me um, after I'd talked about this uh, one time and he said, I actually used this at a, um, a local fair that I went to and I waited till the end of the day. And then, you know, everyone was guessing number of jelly beans in, in the the jar. And he said he took, the average, at the end of the day, put that in as his entry, and he won the jar of jelly beans. He actually sent me um, a 10 jelly beans as my kind of payment for telling him about this shortcut.
1: Yeah, well, that's really interesting because, as you say, with the jelly beans, when you average out all the guesses, you get something close to the truth which sort of gives credence to the idea of, you know, managing by committee. You know, ask a lot of people, get a lot of people's input, and you'll get a consensus. But that often isn't what happens. You, <laughs> having worked in organizations that manage by committee, it's often a big mess. So,
2: so I wonder what's going on there. I think what it's saying in a way is that uh, collectively as a species, we have good intuition about some problems, but uh, kind of individuals don't. It's the collective that, that do has, have a good intuition.
1: Well, it's also, it's kind of like why uh, companies beta test because no one person or small group of people will ever figure out all the problems of everything. But if you throw it out there to the world, eventually somebody's going to find everything.
2: Yes, but there's a an interesting challenge here because it's clear that not every problem um, is amenable to this kind of wisdom of the crowd because I don't think I'd want to um, go on an aeroplane which is being collectively flown by the passengers. Uh, then I really do want an expert who knows what they're doing. So again, it's this challenge of knowing when the shortcut um, is, is useful to apply in particular settings, good for estimating the number of... Uh, jelly beans in a jar but perhaps not so good if you're if you're wanting to try and fly a plane well but but that (laughs) that brings
1: up so let's say the pilot ate some bad fish and he's dead and so now you've got this group of passengers (laughs) maybe collectively they could figure it out or die or do you leave it to one guy who said well you know i flew in the war back in you know i mean what what would you what would be the better solution
2: Yes, I think that's um, it's an interesting challenge. Actually, what we found is that, um, uh, you, you know, the, the good crowd is one that has a very uh, wide range of um, kind of backgrounds such that you get sort of variety. It helps you rather than very specific knowledge. I think in the case of flying a plane, then you, you really I'd go for somebody um, who had perhaps flown a plane before um, and just let them get on with it.
1: Talk about the probability shortcut, because I think people have a, or, or believe they have a pretty good sense of how probability works, but but not always,
2: right? Yeah, I think that probability is something that we have a very bad intuition for. Um, and so uh, finding shortcuts for, you know, how, how probable is something to happen or not are, is really important. I think one of my favorites, and it's somehow counterintuitive, is, if I put uh, a certain number of people in a room together, um, how many people do I need for there to be uh, more than an even chance that two people in that room will have the same birthday? Now, you might think, well, gosh, for two people to have the same birthday, sure, you need probably what, 150, maybe, you know, because you're what you're thinking of is, well, what's the probability that somebody will have my birthday? Um, uh, so you might need half the days in the year. But it turns out not to be the case. If you look at the uh, probability of how the people can pair up, you actually only need 23 people in that room uh, to have a more than even chance that two of them will have the same birthday. So that, for me, is very counterintuitive. uh, And it involves the kind of Shortcut of understanding how probability works that way that you can pair people up in that room very quickly means that there are more ways that people will share a birthday than there are that they won't share a birthday. So, only 23 people in a room, and uh, you're more than likely to find two with the same birthday. That makes no sense to me. How could that
1: possibly be when there's (laughs) 365 days in the year that 23 people would ha- uh, would, it, would be all it would take to come up with a, a a common birthday. It makes no sense to me.
2: I think that's um, why these shortcuts are really important, because if you use your kind of intuition, you'll say, well, I, I think there should be like 150. You need a like half the year or something. But I think the mistake that people make is that they think about their own birthday. Uh, and if I go into that room, well, there's, you know, there's hardly going to be somebody with my birthday there. But what one isn't considering is there are different ways to pair them up. And when you start to count the different pairs that you can make out of those 23 people, then there turn out to be many more ways than you might have expected at first sight. And, and that's the kind of power of mathematics to to counter your intuition and say, that doesn't make sense. And to see why actually it does make sense. And, and that will be a shortcut if you're trying to find two people with the same birthday that you only need to to take 23 people and you'll have a good chance of finding two with the same birthday
1: what's the data shortcut
2: well i think that's one of the things that we're being faced with uh, on a daily basis it's just the onslaught of the amount of data that we have to navigate and i think we're finding it increasingly difficult to to find messages inside that data but again mathematics has come up with some very good shortcuts which show that even though the data may look immense um, a good sampling can reveal actually what's going on in that data with just a a small number of uh I- I- examples in the data um, my favorite example is a Um, an advert that I used to watch as a kid, which said um, eight out of 10 cats prefer this brand of cat food that we have in the UK called whiskers. And um, I had a cat and nobody had ever asked my cat um, about its preferences. And so I began to wonder, you know, there are 7 million cats here in the UK. How many cats did they actually have to ask um, in order to be able to be confident in making that claim that eight out of 10 cats Um, prefer their their particular cat food and it turns out you only need to ask about 250 cats to be pretty confident that 19 out of 20 times um, that sample will be five percent away from the true value in the seven million cats so i think that's a very important uh kind of shortcut to know about That. Even though you might be overwhelmed by data, um, being able to just sample a small part of it can get get you actually uh, insight into what's happening in, in the, the larger data set.
1: Well, that's how they take opinion polls, right? I mean, they take a sample, supposedly a random sample of people at, at, to represent the population.
2: Yes, that's right. But you really want to know, well, what's, what's the kind of critical value such that I can be confident that the, the poll that I've done is representative. But the other thing you have to be very careful of is not biasing your choice of data. There's a very classic story of um, uh, uh, very early on in doing polls, uh, people use the telephone, and it turned out that well, not many people had a telephone in the kind of 1950s, um, and so they were actually biasing the sample because they were just phoning people who are rich enough to own a telephone. So you have to be careful in this sampling to make sure that you, you aren't sort of biasing the people that you're asking. Yeah, well,
1: but it's easy to lump all cats in one category because I don't know very much about cats, but there's probably a lot of differences in cats. There's, you know, gender, there's breed, there's age, there's all these things. that. So 8 out of 10 c- cats may be true, but it may not be that true for your cat because of some of those variables.
2: That's certainly true. And that's one of the um, uh, problems with going from a kind of global statement like that to the particular. uh, I mean, it's almost like the challenge of um, probability that um, you know, I, I there's one in six chance if I roll a dice that it's going to land on on a six. But you know, when I roll it, it just makes one choice of, of a side to be on. Um, so uh, you know, there there is a, an issue. It, it doesn't say anything particular about your cat, but um, still, you know, to, to know that most cats do like this, it gives a, a higher chance that your cat might like this uh, brand, and so you would m- very well might buy it.
1: You know, I like this kind of discussion because it it opens up your thinking. It makes you realize that there are there are so many other ways to think about a problem or to attack a problem or to find a shortcut to a problem that maybe you hadn't even considered before, and it's interesting to think about all the ways that problems can be solved. My guest has been Marcus DeSotoy, he's professor for the public understanding of science and a professor of mathematics at Oxford. And he is author of the book, Thinking Better, The Art of the Shortcut in Math and in Life. And you will find a link to that book in the show notes. Thanks,
2: Marcus. Thanks, Michael. It was uh, great to be on the show. Thanks for having me.
1: Most people know that the day after Thanksgiving is Black Friday, one of the busiest shopping days of the year. It's also one of the busiest days of the year for plumbers, Estimates are that calls to plumbers spike by about 50% on Black Friday. So what's all the clogging about? Grease, potato peelings, rice, celery, and poultry skin in the disposal, and lots of clogged toilets. So rule number one is avoid putting fats and cooking oils down the drain. They might go down easy, but they'll turn solid and create clogs in your pipes. It's also true that stringy and starchy waste in the disposal can mess things up. So it's better to put food waste in the garbage can instead of the garbage disposal. If you've got guests staying over, try to wait 10 minutes between showers to allow slow drains to have time to do their job and drain. And that is something you should know. Well, I know I learned a lot in this episode of the podcast, particularly the segment about spices and the potential for heavy metals in spices. You'll probably end up telling somebody you know about it. And when you do, tell them about the podcast. Ask them to give a listen. I'd appreciate it, and it helps us grow our audience. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening today to Something You Should Know